Hello and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I've been doing lately is father stuff. A lot of you probably know by now that uh, back in September, my wife gave birth to our daughter. And so it's no exaggeration to say that the great majority of my waking hours for the past several weeks now have basically revolved around taking care of my daughter Gwen. All right? And it's strange to think of it now. This is really the first thing I've recorded since Gwen was born. And I think about all the episodes leading up to this point where I, I talk about the fact of uh, of uh, Gwen's birth and how that's coming at some unknown time in the future and all that and now here we are it's been at this point over a month and uh, I gotta tell you you know I mean you talk about a really big change in perspective you know and this is just this entire experience has really been it's really been an eye-opener you know because I mean, look, there are limits to how specific I want to be, or God knows how graphic I want to be, but uh, there—I was in the uh, delivery room, right? Now, guys, I want to be clear on something. Gwen is the only child I have, as far as I know. Um, And certainly, this is the only time I've ever been in the delivery room for a birth. So I really don't know what is and is not normal, what's customary and what isn't. What I can say is that as deliveries go, this one at least had the benefit of being extremely smooth. For everything else I can say about being in the hospital, the delivery process itself was really smooth. So smooth, in fact, that for those of you who have been in the uh, delivery room and you kind of, you sort of know how to do that uh, and how to be there and, and what to expect and all that stuff. My wife really didn't, she, she was not given the opportunity to, to do a practice push. She was told to do a practice push, you know, to start, you know, pushing the baby out. And then what they realized is, you know, holy shit, we, she can't do practice pushes because the baby is practically all, already here. A practice push is going to push the baby out, and we really aren't ready for that just yet. And so that's how down to the uh, second this, this whole process was. So with one push, or perhaps more accurately, one series of pushes, but they call it one push, but it's actually more than one push. But with one push, my wife brought my daughter into this world, right? Now, I know enough about deliveries to know that's not necessarily the norm, all right? This whole, like, I want to say that altogether labor lasted for like four hours or something like that. I know enough to know that that's not... Like, even if this is your second uh, child, or up from there, that's not necessarily the norm. That usually the labor process is a lot more laborious. And so I, I know that I got off pretty easily there. Basically, there was uh, uh, three hours and, we'll say, 50 minutes of just kind of hanging around. And then there's 10 minutes of absolute panic at the very end, you know, and that basically is how my daughter came into this world. And after that, you know, there was some, you know, some things happened and that's not really my story to tell. So I'm not going to tell that story. But all of this is kind of like a long way of saying, you know, I know that I don't necessarily run the most um, intimate or personal or confessional type of podcast that has that has never been my identity in the podcasting marketplace, okay? And I know this. I know this. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we need to work through here, and so I'm hoping all of you are still with me after all this. So, out comes Gwen, and so... I'm trying to think of the best way to... best way to 
uh, put this. Um, guys, <clears throat> you hear stories, and I mean like all the time, right? You hear stories about husbands in the delivery room and just some of the unexpected things that can happen there, all right? Uh, I've heard stories of husbands uh, fainting. I've heard stories about husbands getting sick. <clears throat> I've heard all kinds of stuff, all right? All kinds of war stories. And so one of the things that I wanted to do throughout this whole process, I just kind of wanted to watch my own back a little bit because I made a promise to my wife. I said, look, no matter how long it takes, no matter what it costs, you and me, we are in this, all right? We are in this. <clears throat> so I'm not going to leave your side unless it's unless the process is over and it's okay for me to leave your side or until somebody drags me away, right? One of those or the other. Otherwise, I'm not leaving your side. And that was a promise that I made to her and I was very serious about it. And so, out comes the uh, baby. And of course, you know, the doctors, they all know that as the husband, there's really nothing you can do to contribute to this process or, or uh, assist. There's nothing you can do, all right? I mean, yeah, you can kind of try to keep uh, your wife on an even keel. <clears throat> but really, that's about it. You know, and frankly, the doctors don't even necessarily need you need you to do that. You know, they, we have drugs. I mean, let's face it. You know, there there are very few things that husbands can really contribute to this. So to kind of work around that, it's pretty common in a lot of uh, delivery rooms for the doctor to give the husband a, a pair of shears and say, hey, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And that, like I say, is usually where uh, husbands start uh, puking, fainting, uh, having panic attacks, etc. Right? Now, by the time that they asked me to uh, cut the cord, I, not on purpose, you understand, but quite by accident, I had seen the placenta. Right? And again, the placenta is one of those things where you just hear stories about people losing it whenever they see the placenta. And so I saw the placenta and it was really no big deal. All right. I'm, I'm not going to go into details beyond that. It's just, it's, it, it really was not a big deal. Right. Um, so I'd already been through that. And so now here they come saying, Hey, do you, do you want to cut, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? Now, for those of you who maybe this is your first time listening to my show and I, all apologies if it is, but if this is your first time listening to my show, you know, I got to tell you, um, just to kind of give you an idea of, <clears throat> of who I am as a person, I'm one of those people who believes in numbers, I believe in the odds, I believe in um, probability, all right? Now, throughout this entire process, I had, by accident, you understand, <clears throat> I'd seen my daughter come out. No problems there. And like I say, I had seen the placenta, again, quite completely by accident, but nevertheless, that happened anyway. And now here they come saying, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? Now, in the moment, all right, you are there, okay? In the heat of the moment, the only logical thing I could think of is to say no. Because guys, try to look at it from my point of view, okay? I'd seen my daughter come out, no big deal. I'd seen the placenta, no big deal. Now, they're giving me a chance to cut something. And up to this point, guys, I've had a great run. Okay, I have had a great run. I've been able to keep my promise. I've been able to stay by uh, my wife's side this whole time. Nothing required me to leave. Nothing required me to go grab a barf bag or anything like that. Everything was cool. And now we're introducing a new variable into this equation, okay? It's a new element, the outcome of which 
we have no way of knowing. It could be that I'm able to cut this umbilical cord and just go on with life, no problem. Could also be that I cut that umbilical cord, or at least I try to, and I don't handle the process very well, and now I have to make a run for it. And now I break my promise to my wife. There's no percentage of it, okay? I didn't see what I had to gain from cutting the umbilical cord. I saw what I had to lose. That seemed kind of self-evident. Didn't see what I had to gain. And so for that reason, I said, you know what? I've had a good run. It's kind of like whenever you're in Vegas, you know, you're in the casinos and stuff, and you are on fire. You're having a great night. You're having a great run. And you eventually come to a fork in the road. Okay? There comes a point when you have to make a choice. Do you keep gambling or do you call it a night? If you call it a night, all of your winnings, and you could be up hundreds of dollars, maybe even thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Who's to say? If you call it a night, right here, right now, you get to keep all of your winnings, okay? You can cash out, you can go up to your hotel room, get some room service, watch a movie, and fall asleep, okay? You can call it a night, all right? You also have the choice of, of letting it ride. Let's keep going, man. Let's let's crank this thing up and let's just. There's a chance that if you are on the floor for too long, sooner or later the law of averages is just gonna beat you. It is just gonna. I mean, putting aside the fact that let's face it, a lot of this stuff. I kind of regard the casinos in Vegas as being really just a step away from being just as rigged as the attractions you might find in any carnival. Putting aside the fact that this shit, I don't know, I, I don't know if rigged is the right word, but they definitely arranged things to such a degree as to make it more likely that the house wins, all right? Sooner or later, the house is going to win. And if you keep playing, or at least the longer you keep playing, the greater the probability that the house is gonna get every single bit of it back, all right? And same thing in a, in a, in a kind of analogous sort of way, the same sort of thing with cutting the umbilical cord, all right? I've had a good run up to this point, guys. Like I said, I saw my, uh, my daughter's head poking out. I saw the placenta. I was able to take both of those things in stride. I didn't even stop just kept on going, all right? Now I'm being asked to cut the umbilical cord, and as it is in Vegas, I didn't see, to me, the numbers and the probability, it just, it didn't make sense to me at that point, right? Because I've already done two things that most guys, well, I don't know about most guys, but I've already done two things that a lot of guys out there, a lot of husbands out there, can't handle, all right? I'm up two. I don't need to be up three, because if I if I bomb out on three, I bomb the fuck out, all right? And so, for that reason, I said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Don't think I'm going to cut the umbilical cord, but I appreciate the offer. And I, you know, went back to uh, my wife, who at that point was, I think they were, after they uh, cut the, the cord, they were going to give my, I, I forget, there was some kind of business going on with, uh, Gwen and I wanted to stick around for that and just, you know, pay attention and see what's going on. And uh, so I was able to do that. No problem. And overall, like I say, the delivery went super smooth. Now there's some shit that went on after the delivery that, like I say, really isn't my story to tell. But the delivery, that part was fine. So then you start getting into you know other things you know you bring the baby home and how's the dog gonna react to it you know because i kind of regard lucy uh my american eskimo i kind of regard lucy as an unindicted co-conspirator of trennis magnus punch's reality she has been in the house with me this is no exaggeration literally every single episode i have ever recorded of this show now usually she's completely inaudible not always but 99.9 .9 times 
or 99.9% of the time, she's completely inaudible. You'd never know she's here, but she is here. And she's always been part of the family, right? And so how is she going to react to the baby? And, you know, what are things going to be like with that? Uh, what's the what's having a baby in the house even going to be like? Like, what what is that? Um, how is my stepdaughter going to react to having a baby in the house? And all these other sorts of things. I've spent basically the last, I'll say, month and a half or so working my way through all of these different issues and just trying to figure out what is my life now? You know, and one of the things that I've, um, one of the things that I've decided is whatever my life was before Gwen was born, it is now something completely different because it has to be. And so for that reason, <clears throat> you know, there are a lot of changes that need to be made. <sighs> At least as far as you listeners concern, uh, you listeners are concerned. I think probably the most obvious change that you guys are going to notice is that this episode is goodbye. I don't really know for how long. If I were a betting man, I would say permanently, but I, I honestly don't know. At the very least, this is goodbye for at least quite a while, for the foreseeable future. The reason for that is because, like I say, I've got a baby in the house, my daughter needs her father, and there are... I need to make her my my priority in life. So there's that. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Um, and guys, I mean, this isn't completely unexpected. I think a lot of you, uh, you were probably very well aware of the fact that I, a, a hiatus was coming, that I was going to stop releasing episodes at least for a while. Really, all I'm doing right now is telling you guys that this could be a permanent state of affairs, that this episode, this could be the end of the line, permanently. And that's really the only change that we're talking about here. And like I say, there are a lot of reasons for that, the most prominent of which is my daughter, is Gwen. That's the, uh, that's probably the most obvious. But honestly, you know, this is something that's been coming for, for quite some time. I'm going to pull the curtain back on quite a few things and I'm going to tell you guys about some stuff that if you're not if you're not a podcaster yourself there's probably a lot of bullshit that's been going on that you don't really know about and I'm kind of at a point in my life where I'm kind of done with protecting people who don't deserve it so I'm not going to name anyone's name here the guilty parties but I'm not going to pretend they don't exist either. So, for the past few years, guys, I'm just going to say it. I think that the, the 2016 election and its aftermath basically drove the far left in this country completely fucking insane. Okay? I wish there was a nice way to say it, but there's not. The, the, the far left in this country has gone so completely fucking psychotic that... It's just to kind of give you guys an idea of, uh, of where I'm coming from with all this, you know, just to kind of wind the clock back to 2008. You've got uh, Barack Obama mm, 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 and he's running for office. And in the main, the people who supported him, uh, his, uh, his his core base, their priorities were not really my priorities, but I could understand where they were coming from. It made sense to me. And I'll even say that there were elements of Obama's platform, <clears throat> especially in uh, 2008, that I kind of related to, you know? And then, of course, uh, from there, you start getting into 2012, and the tone and the tenor of Obama's uh, base, his, it's just like the, the rhetoric of it all just kind of shifted. And it was a lot more economic in nature, you know. I, for voters who were under the age of, I'll say, 32, who supported Obama, 
here again, I can really understand where the, where they were coming from. Uh, we're talking about millennials who, I'm not going to say uh, socialist or communist or anything like that, but they had definitely uh, warmed up to far left economic policy. And honestly, who am I to tell them that they're wrong? I mean, uh, that's who I am, you know, and the fact is that people my age and younger, especially in, in a 2012, had never seen capitalism work for them. They had never worked in an American economy that was functional and stable and successful. And so here was a politician who was offering them, superficially or otherwise, who was offering them an alternative to capitalism. And I can kind, I can completely understand where my generation was coming from when they looked at that and said, you know what, fuck it, let's give that a shot. You know, I can understand that. It, because uh, like I say, that's who I am, and certainly the, you know, I was having a diff- not as difficult a time as others, I'll admit, but I was having kind of a difficult time too, in a 2012, and. I, I can definitely understand where all these other millennials were coming from whenever they were having to work two, sometimes three part-time jobs and share just these fleabag apartments with like four roommates and all this stuff just to make ends meet, all right? And they were drowning in debt. Their, degree, their college degrees were worthless. They couldn't get um, work in like regular mainstream uh, fields and I can kind of understand where they were coming from. You know, I think that honestly in 2008 and 2012, there really were no good choices on the ballot. On both sides, there were no good choices on the ballot. So I can kind of understand why a lot of millennials backed Obama and why they kind of saw him as the best choice. Maybe not necessarily the perfect choice, although some of them did see him as the perfect choice, but others, I think they were they were a bit more pragmatic about it. Of the options that are available, he's the best. That doesn't make him a good option, it just makes him better than the alternative. These are ideas that I can understand. You start getting into 2016, and I don't know that Hillary Clinton ever really had like a devoted base there were a lot of people who kind of, I think Bill Maher actually said it best, you know, with this whole ready for Hillary or ready for her or whatever that slogan was. He says, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm ready for her. And he, and he kind of says that in the same sort of way that you say, oh, well, I mean, I guess I'm ready to get a, to get a, a vaccine. I guess I'm ready to get a shot. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I, I'm ready for that, I guess. Uh, there just really wasn't anything there to motivate um, the base with, uh, with with Hillary Clinton. I can understand that. You know, I can understand where I well, I can largely. I mean, you start getting into 2016, you're pushing it a bit. But in many respects, I can understand where a lot of millennials were coming from when they were basically looking at Clinton and they're like, okay, I don't really like her. Fucking despise him. So I guess I'm gonna vote for her. Whatever. And they just seem so ambivalent about it. And so when that election went the way that it did, the fact that they freaked the fuck out like they did about a, a, uh, an election that to all outward appearances up to that point, they hadn't really been all that invested in. Now, all of a sudden, it's time to panic and freak out. And it, lest I be accused of generational malice, intragenerational malice in my case, uh, this isn't just... This isn't just me policing my own, okay? This went far beyond the millennials. Gen X, like uh, far left Gen X, went off the deep end. Far left boomers went off the deep end. I mean, a lot of people were losing their fucking crackers in 2016 and the aftermath. And it is to the point now where... And guys, I know, throughout this whole thing, I've ignored Bernie Sanders, yeah, blah, 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 whatever. I, he, he existed, there was a candidate, let's move on. Throughout this whole process, guys, the far left in this country has gone so completely fucking insane that, and they have infiltrated basically everything. They, uh, every, every fandom that you can possibly have, you, there you're gonna find some fucking childless 
over 40 pink-haired SJ fucking W telling, telling you everything that's wrong with your fandom, everything that you're doing that needs to be changed, everything that you're doing to need, that, that needs to be adjusted because she has a vagina, okay? And it's, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's to the point, and, and if, what, you think comics have been somehow uh, fucking excluded from this? They haven't been. And the comic book industry has intentionally made itself so fucking small that one week of COVID lockdown was all it took to basically destroy the comic book industry as we knew it. That's all it, that, that's all it, that it needed. And I can't really speak for anyone else, although I think a lot of people are probably going to relate to what I say when next with a lot of my passion has just been fucking sapped. Okay. I don't, I'm actually to the point where I don't want to live in the same fucking country as these assholes. I certainly don't want to be in the same fandom with them. My enthusiasm and my passion for comics, it, I still love them, but this isn't something that I care to share with anyone else anymore because I'm actually kind of to the point now, I don't give a flying fuck up a running squirrel's ass who you voted for or why you did it. I just want you to leave me alone. Even if, I mean, I'm, I kind of consider myself to be like broadly, like I guess normie Republican. Not necessarily doctrinaire conservative, you understand, but yeah, I guess Republican. That probably is the closest. And um, because let's face it, the American Solidarity Party is just never going to be ready for prime time. No third party is ever going to be ready for prime time. And I'm just kind of to the point where even if I think you might agree with me on what few tepid political opinions I do have, I don't really fucking care anymore, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm to the point now where I just look around at the rest of fandom, not even just far left fandom, but just like fandom in general, and it's, it's just not really a place that I, that I want to be anymore, right? And when you start talking about far left fandom, I'm not going to name names because doing so will gain me nothing, but uh, I knew that by, that by the end of 2018, certain friendships that I had um, gained and cultivated and enjoyed over the years would cease to exist. And I told certain people who were on my side of the aisle in the podcasting world, what I said was, guys, I don't know how you think this year is going to end, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's February. I'm calling it now. This person, this person, this person, this person, and this person, are, they are all going to lose our fucking phone numbers before, this, the, before the end of this year comes, all right? Mark my words and read them back to me later. We will not have friendships with these people by the time the calendar rolls over to December the, or rather to January the 1st, 2019, okay? Those friendships are going to be gone, smithereens, smashed into a thousand pieces with the splinters cast into the winds. Okay, that's what's going to happen. These people, these five people, at the very least, they are going to check the fuck out. And wouldn't you know, those exact five people, they, not only did they lose my number, but they lost certain other people's phone numbers as well. Friendships ended, and this is my point. Friendships ended over this election, all right? Friendships ended over politics. Now, I'm I'm familiar with the arguments that if you lose a friend over politics, you didn't lose a friend. You lost an acquaintance, all right? I'm I'm familiar with that. I understand that. But I got to tell you, the people that well, I'm just going to say it, the people that blocked me on Facebook, I did consider them to be friends. Uh, acquaintances or otherwise, I did consider them to be my friends, and I figured, okay, well, there's this one issue upon which we do not agree, but there's so much else that we do agree upon that, you know, this political stuff really shouldn't matter all that much. It does to them. And typically, the rejoinder for for this sort of thing is, well, if taking a stand against bigotry is wrong, then I guess I'm wrong. Just real virtue signally fucking bullshit like that. Like a certain podcaster's psychotic fucking lunatic of a wife posting shit like that on Facebook. And 
It just gets to a point where I don't have anything in common with these people. I don't want to have anything to fucking do with them. Apparently the feeling's mutual because they all blocked me. And my, uh, and, and not just my numbers, I mean, like, network-wide, podcasting download numbers are just down across the board. It used to be that what I would consider, like, basically what I would have considered back in 2016 to be, uh, like, a mediocre download number, you know, maybe I don't want to talk about that particular subject anymore just because... In the grand scheme of things, not all that many people really listen to that episode. Guys, now that's the top fucking number, okay? That's how much the numbers have dwindled in uh, the podcasting world. They've, they've just gone down. And this is true, um, not just in the podcasting world. I'm friends with quite a few YouTubers, and they all say the same thing. Look my YouTube channel doesn't really have a whole lot of comic book reviews and stuff like that anymore. Just because those numbers, it's like no one no one cares anymore. People are disengaged. Like, back in 2017, maybe people gave a shit. They don't. Not anymore. They don't give a shit anymore. Um, these days, it's like no one really knows how to reach that audience anymore. Or, for that matter, if they even are reachable. <coughs> But there's basically a very vocal contingent of uh, just fucking uh, SJWs who are, they at least claim to be fans. They don't seem to ever buy anything, but they claim to be fans. They are comic book artists, writers, editors, everything. Colorists, inkers, everything. And they have basically demolished this industry to such a point that it's not even really accurate to call it an industry anymore. And so when you couple that with the the uh, just overall lower download numbers and the number of people who have uh, basically washed their hands of certain, um, certain members of uh, the network, guys, just look at my just look at my history since I'll say January the 1st, 2017. <clears throat> look at the episodes I released and look at uh, who the guests were in that uh, in uh, those episodes when I had guests. And then compare the guests I had in uh, from 2017 going forward to the guests that I had in 2016 and before. A lot of names are missing starting in 2017. Guys, that, that is no accident. That is no accident. Uh, directly or indirectly, it was made very clear to me that, and I would say especially starting in 2018 and going from there, these, these people made it very clear that they didn't want to be on my show. Um, I kind of got that impression, like I say, when they blocked me. The fact that these people have not been on my show, in some cases, for like five years, some in some cases, not even close to that. But in some cases, yeah, it has been five years. Guys, that is no accident, all right? And those are the people who somewhat have been just making life such a pain in the fucking nuts. And it's to the point now where... My enthusiasm for comics, I don't think that's ever going to go away, but my enthusiasm for podcasting and for sitting down with people and talking about why we love this movie or this issue of Tomb of Dracula or just fucking whatever, I just don't really have it anymore, you know? And so there's a very good chance, and this is my point, there's a very good chance that I would be Calling it a day as a podcaster right now, whether or not my my daughter had been born or not. But you take all of this stuff together. The birth of my daughter, new priorities I've got, my just general disgust with SJWs and their, their little panic attacks of the day. Fuck every single one of those people. Fuck them. And 
this is just is not something that I really care to do anymore, you know? And it's not that I don't have anything to say. I mean, I'm on, I'm an opinion with feet. I'm always going to have something to say, but it's just like, what's the point of saying it? No one's listening. Fandom is smithereens. Nobody cares. And there's just this, like I say, just this really shrilly, loud, just fucking obnoxious contention of SJWs that, as far as I'm concerned, can just eat shit. I don't want to have anything to do with those fucking people. And it's, you know, there it is. It's all out there now. You know, it used to be before I at least tried to straddle the line a little bit. No, fuck it. I don't want to have anything to do with those people. And um, it's, this is just, this, this just isn't worth it to me anymore. You know, there was a time when it was like 2013 up to, like I say, probably about 2016, maybe somewhat into 2017. I'll, I'll give the nod on that. You know, this was, this was a ton of fun. I loved podcasting, you know? And then starting in 2017, there started to be just these little costs, you know, little costs. There was always a, sometimes there was a little price that you'd have to pay. Then it got heavier and heavier and heavier. And it's to the point now where the cost of being a podcaster is, I'm sorry, it's too rich for my blood. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, Number one, like I say, there's nothing left. The download numbers just kind of speak for themselves now. Um, My personal enthusiasm has for for podcasting, like I say, it's waned. And most of the stuff that I'm interested in talking about, like horror comics and horror movies, I mean, that's just such niche of niche of niche material. It's just not worth it, you know? So I know that I've got a certain core group of dedicated listeners. I'm grateful for every single one of you, no matter how you vote. I'm grateful for every single one of you. I appreciate you sticking with me all these years. I appreciate the contributions you've made to the Trennis Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group. I appreciate feedback that you've sent in. I appreciate financial contributions that you've made. I appreciate all of it, okay? I think you guys are awesome. You rock. You know, you are a big part of what uh, has kept me going for these past few years. I'm going to be honest with you. If it hadn't been for you dedicated listeners and you know who you are, I probably would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. But it's just the way that it is right now, I just can't do it anymore, you know? And so, you know, I think about it sometimes, you know. I wanted to go to uh, Legion of Superheroes, the Five Years Later series. I wanted to go until I want to say issue 24 on that and I've got my doubts that I ever will you know I wanted to talk about more uh, some more uh, Tomb of Dracula back issues I doubt I ever will I wanted to finish my Smallville retrospective I doubt I ever will I wanted to talk about uh, some more Superboy comics doubt I ever will Uh, some more Batman movies Um, I wanted to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League whatever release form that takes I wanted to talk about uh, maybe some uh, Incredible Hulk comics. You know, I just, I doubt I'm ever going to talk about any of that stuff, at least in a podcast. Or even if it is a podcast, I doubt it's going to be Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. I just don't see that ever happening at this point. So, I, you know, I'm really sorry. I hope none of you feel like I'm giving you the finger or anything like that, because that's definitely not the message that I want to convey. But it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, what matters, you know? In life, what matters? And for me, what matters is my family. What matters is Gwen. What matters is being the best father to her that I possibly can be. You know, and in the grand scheme of things, does organized fandom really matter? The answer could be yes. Once upon a time. But not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, if I ever go to another con... It's probably going to be, it'll probably be because that's something that Stacy wants to do, you know? I can't imagine ever wanting to go to another con. Maybe I will, but I doubt it. And, you know, one of the things that I said to, again, I'm not going to say who, but if you're familiar with the, the politics of the Two True Freaks Network, you probably can figure out who I'm talking about. I said to somebody, a very prominent somebody, in uh, the Two True Freaks Network that, you know, 
the real sadness of the last few years is all the friends that we lost. You know? Because even on this side of the aisle, you know, it's... I'm just not as close to the people who are on my side of the aisle as I was a few years ago, you know? Because there's always this same albatross around both of our necks, you know? There's always this same really unpleasant thing that happened. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we enjoy each other's company. We, we like recording together and all that stuff. It's fun. It's great. But I don't feel super close, or I don't always feel super close even to them. And that's the real sadness of these last few years, you know? The friendships that were just outright severed, but even the ones that were just kind of damaged, you know? And for what? A political election? Somebody who's going to be, who could be gone four years later, but certainly no more than eight years later. It's like these people burned down this entire country and, I don't know. My favorite thing though, is when they start espousing, you know, what they believe in. Well, the reason I support this organization is because they stand with this group of people over here and they support them and fucking blah, blah, blah. Okay, the, the people that, that, those groups that you say that you support, they fucking hate me. They don't want to have anything to do with me. They, in fact, some of them make no bones about the fact they'd love to see someone like me. If not dead, perhaps in prison or living in uh, state-enforced poverty, perhaps. It's like, what, I'm supposed to care about those people? Uh, act like somehow they matter when, in fact, those people fucking despise me for stuff that I didn't do and stuff that did not happen to them, but like they fucking despise me anyway. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. I, I... Look, I mean, if, if what you're looking for is sympathy, I mean, I guess maybe I left it in the dictionary somewhere between shit and syphilis. I mean, go ahead and look, it's probably in there somewhere. I didn't really want this to turn into a big rant fest, guys, but it's just, this is all the stuff that I've kept bottled up for a couple of years now. Um, just these kind of virtue signaling asshole podcasters and their just fucking lunatic wives posting bullshit stories about getting accosted at fucking Walmart or something like that. And I mean, first off, anyone who believes those stories, look, if you truly think that shit actually happened, I've got a bridge to sell you. But number two, it's just like, it, it always included, it, it's just how many years of people making digs at you are you expected to endure before you decide, you know what, fuck it, I'm out, I'm done, you know? So anyway, like I say, there's no point naming names, shit, you probably figured out who I'm talking about in at least half of these cases quite a while ago. But in any case, it's just, it's not something that... It's not a scene that I care to be a part of anymore. And it's sad. I feel sad. I mean, there's a certain amount of self-pity in that. Yes, I know. But I'm, I'm sad to be letting go of something that, has, that I've had so much fun with and I've enjoyed so greatly over the years. And it's just turned to such fucking poison. And it's just, it's just not worth it anymore. So... Like I say, for all of you who have stuck with me for all these years, and there are quite a few of you, but for everyone who's stuck with me for all these years, I I really appreciate you. Uh, I really appreciate, like I say, the contributions you've made to the Facebook group, the financial contributions, the the uh, feedback that you've sent, all that stuff and more. I, I just really appreciate it. And um, like I say, there's a chance I could come back. I mean, I'm kind of thinking I won't there's a chance I could come back but uh, all the same I want all of you uh, faithful listeners to know that you made a bigger difference than you may realize so anyway and so that that's pretty much it for me for this uh, for this week and as to next week 
doesn't look like there's going to be anything next week. So, see you around. I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, You can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus... Media Enterprises Limited Production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>